Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome back to this week's episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I'm your host, Amanda Nally. Today we have Dr. Jessica Young, the TIPQC Maternal Medical Director, joined by Dr. Julia Wood, President of the Tennessee Chapter of Postpartum Support International. She's a psychiatrist in Knoxville, Tennessee, and specializes in perinatal mood disorders. We discuss the importance of screening, treatment options, and disparities in perinatal mood disorders. Let's get right to it. I'm so excited to be here today with Dr. Julia Wood. Dr. Wood is a psychiatrist in Knoxville, Tennessee, and also the chair of Postpartum Support International Tennessee. And we are really excited to have her with us today talking about postpartum depression, postpartum mood disorders, and what we can do to better treat and diagnose and screen and and all that stuff. So welcome, Julia. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So first, let's just start with the basics. I think most people have heard about postpartum depression as well as the baby blues. They've heard those terms pretty frequently in the press and in the just general conversation. But I think people are less familiar with the term postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. Can you tell me what that means and how that encompasses postpartum depression? Sure. So the perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, PMAD, we often call them PMADs, really encompass a lot more than just depression. So perinatal mood disorders, including depression, as well as bipolar disorder, and anxiety disorders, including panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder. The postpartum period is the highest risk period for women in their lifetime to develop any kind of mood or anxiety disorders. And all of these disorders are found at higher rates in the postpartum period than at other points. I would like to focus on the the name. The name is perinatal, not postpartum. And so why is that important? Why is it important to not, even though the postpartum period is really high risk, why do we encompass pregnancy as well? The prenatal <laughs> part mm-hmm. too, yeah. So I would say there are a couple of reasons. One is that a lot of women come to pregnancy having already had a problem with depression, bipolar disorder, and anxiety disorder. And they are making a decision at the time they become pregnant or perhaps before that, about whether or not to continue medication during pregnancy. And pregnancy, uh, if you look at women who have a history of depression, who stop their medication 
to become pregnant, 50% of them will have a relapse of depression during pregnancy. And depression during pregnancy is the number one risk factor for developing a postpartum mood or anxiety disorder. So we really want to be thinking about these things before the postpartum period, during pregnancy, doing what we can to keep women well while they're pregnant. Severe postpartum depression, severe postpartum mood disorders can be life-threatening and have significant morbidity, especially if there's a psychosis or something like that involved. What are the other consequences? What are the other negative things that can happen Mm -hmm. from a postpartum mood disorder? So we consider a postpartum mood disorder a mood disorder that occurs in the first year postpartum, so the first year of baby's life. And if you look at infant development during that first year, that is the time of most rapid brain growth in a human's life. And obviously, some of the things that baby is learning are motor skills, holding her head up, walking, but she's also learning language development. And she is building the the first blocks of emotional development. And so developing a sense of safety, a sense of bonding with caregivers, uh, give and take. And if you have a caregiver with a severe mood disorder, that caregiver is not going to be able to interact with baby in the way that is needed for her to properly develop. And so treating these disorders is important for mom, but it is equally, if not more important for baby. What are some negative outcomes for mom if a mood disorder isn't treated when they're pregnant? I know for myself, when I had my first child, that delivery felt like the finish line of the pregnancy, but it's actually the starting line. And if you are coming to the starting line, limping along uh, as you're starting the journey, that's a really hard place to be. And you want to be able, when your baby's born, to bond with your baby. New parents know that the first year of their child's life is going to be demanding and challenging and hard, but you also expect that to be balanced with times of joy, times of bonding. And what a tragic loss for a mom to miss out on those times because of a mood or an anxiety disorder that was not treated. We've kind of danced around this, but why is it important that we screen for these both during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and postpartum? That's a great question. So a screening test is most useful when you are identifying a disorder that's common and a disorder that is treatable. and Perinatal mood and anxiety disorders fall uh, into both of those categories. So they are extremely common. As I said, this is the highest risk time in a woman's life to develop a mood or anxiety disorder. Depending on the study, anywhere from one in 10 to one in five women will screen positive for a mood mood or anxiety disorder in the first year postpartum. And these disorders are treatable. Some people will respond very well to medication, Others will uh, not necessarily need medication, may need psychotherapy or peer support, but treatment is available and it works. And as, as I said before, the negative consequences of not properly treating these disorders can be great, both, both a loss of bonding, positive time with baby for mom, 
and potentially uh, a negative impact on the development of baby. One thing that some studies have shown is that untreated depression in pregnancy also increases risk of other pregnancy outcomes or complications like preeclampsia, delivery complications, poor fetal growth. And that really suggests to me that by kind of stepping back and and looking at the whole picture, that we could start to address other factors that could be contributing to someone's lack of wellness in general during Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Besides doing the validated screening tools that many practices are starting to implement, like the Enberg postpartum depression scale or the PHQ-2 or 9, what are other ways that obstetricians or midwives can help address mental health in pregnancy? So I have a few thoughts uh, about that. One is to just be talking with women as they're coming in for their for their prenatal visits about what to expect postpartum, what's normal, what warrants reaching out. And if you have questions about whether or not what you're experiencing is normal, where can you call? What can you do? I'll put in a little plug here for the Postpartum Support International Helpline. And this is a telephone number that anybody can call and connect with a basically a peer who can help direct them to to resources as appropriate. It's not a hotline, so you call and you leave a message, but someone calls you back within 24 hours. That telephone number is one 800 944 Four seven seven three, and you can access both English and Spanish services with that telephone number. And if you're not in a place to write down that telephone number right now, you can also go to the Postpartum Support International website, which is postpartum.net. And if you simply Google Postpartum Support International, you'll be able to find that. So I think that's one thing that is is helpful for OBs and midwives to be doing in their prenatal visits with patients. I think the other thing that comes up for me with that question is is the, this knowledge that depression increases the risk of negative birth outcomes. That needs to be kept in mind when we're looking at the risk of medication during pregnancy. A lot of women taking medication prior to becoming pregnant, stop the medication because they're worried about the risks of medication during pregnancy. But study after study has shown that when you control for maternal depression, the risks that are found to be associated with antidepressants go away. And what that really means is that these risks appear to be associated with the underlying illness, with the maternal depression. And it's it's really... I would say impossible to completely control for those risks because you're not randomizing women to taking medication during pregnancy or not taking medication during pregnancy. So if you're comparing women who've stopped medication during pregnancy and have a history of depression versus those who have continued and you look at the birth outcomes, you're probably looking at a set of women with a more severe history of depression who've stayed on their medication. 
So if you find an increased risk, a small increased risk of something associated with antidepressant medication, you still can't be sure that really is the antidepressant medication driving that risk itself. And so I think another thing that that medical professionals can do is to talk to women about their whether they were taking medication during pregnancy and really having a little bit of a risk benefit discussion with them around continuing versus stopping. Because again, you don't want to be limping to the starting line. I take care of a lot of pregnant women who have substance use disorder and often have co-occurring depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder, a host of, of other mental health conditions. And I think the studies support this also, that having other untreated co-occurring disorders makes it harder for people to engage in recovery, to work on quitting smoking, to make those changes that are hard to do when you're really depressed or, or having a lot of anxiety. And so that's something that I'm also really mindful of in, in my practice is how those mood disorders affect not only the pregnancy, but their other goals that they're, they're working mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you have found, as I find, that a lot of treatment when you're treating someone with a mood or anxiety disorder is, perhaps this is true of all of medicine, is really just walking the journey with someone. And a lot can be said for having somebody along the path with you trying to help you access other resources. Because obviously, in the face of a mood or anxiety disorder that's complicated by a history of trauma, Prozac isn't going to get you where you need to be. You need more than that. You need psychotherapy. You perhaps need peer support. If you have a co-occurring substance use disorder, you need treatment for that. And and having somebody walk through that with you uh, without judging you is incredibly important. And pregnancy is, it's a very unique time to to capture somebody in terms of finding them at a time where they might have more motivation than they would otherwise bringing, bringing a new baby in the world. This, I think, is a good opportunity to talk about stigma, stigma of mental health disorders. And there's stigma regardless <laughs> of mental health mm-hmm. disorders, regardless of who you are or what stage of life you're in, I think. But how is that particularly evident in pregnancy? I feel like there's something really, the stigma around mental health disorder and pregnancy and postpartum, they're a little different, but it's mm-hmm. very real. <laughs> and mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about that? What would, where does that come from? It's a good question. I, I think that what I find interesting in my practice is people feel much more comfortable saying they have postpartum depression than they do saying they have depression at any other time in their life. And so I think uh, that may be because as a society, as a medical profession, we've done a, a good job of destigmatizing that some. But taking medication during pregnancy, I continue to hear really disappointing stories about people who have had interactions with the medical community, whether that be getting an ultrasound, going to the pharmacy to pick up medication, and being told that the medication they're taking is not safe for their baby. And really, this is not this is not eating brie cheese or having a glass of wine. This is this is a a substance that you're taking during pregnancy 
to keep you well and to prevent further complications down the line. It's not something you're you know, taking just to feel good in some way. And so I think that the, the stigma during pregnancy is very real. And in postpartum, I think it's just a miserable time to be ill. It's supposed to be, you know, again, I mean, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be demanding, but it's also supposed to be one of the best times in your life and to feel depressed, like you can't take care of your baby, like you have to have other people helping you when you feel as though other moms around you are are doing it all. It feels really bad. There's also that kind of pressure for it to be this kind of magical, joyous time (laughs) that I think that's out there in our culture that, that it's supposed to be and it is. For, yeah. There are many things that are great about it and wonderful, but it's really hard to, yeah. even in, even when you don't have a perinatal mood disorder. Correct. Yes. I mean, I think back to when I had my first child, I was in my mid thirties. I was a doctor. I was married to a doctor. I had support of my mother and my mother-in-law and my husband. And it was really hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. It's just a hard time. Yeah. I've heard you tell this story before about a nurse that took care of you when you were mm-hmm. in the hospital with your first child. Can you talk about that? And Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I had my first child when I was a resident in psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital, which if you know anything about Massachusetts General Hospital, it's considered one of the premier hospitals in the country. And I was really impressed by uh, how non-medical it felt at times. And the nurse who took care of me, they had the same nurse take care of me. I I had a C-section, so I was there for, I don't know, five days. I was there a long time. Same nurse took care of me every day. And she gave me these little, what I call elevator pitches about different subjects. And so she would come in and teach me different nursing positions. She taught me how to bathe my son, how to take care of his umbilical cord, how to change a diaper, what to look for. And she also gave me a talk on postpartum depression. And she just gave me this three-minute pitch about what the baby blues were, what postpartum depression looks like, what to look out for, and where to get in touch with somebody if I have more problems. It was a really, really amazing experience. The other thing I had after after I had my son available to me was I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is just across the, the river from Boston. And within either walking distance or a 10-minute subway ride, I had three different support groups for new moms. Two of them were just general new mom groups. And one of them was a breastfeeding group. And I would once a week get out of my house with my son and go and sit with other moms and hear about the struggles that they were having that were similar to the ones that I was having. There, there's very little we learn about child rearing in school, in our lives, and we're not growing up in big extended families anymore. I really wish there were more out there to support women, especially having their first child, because it's a lot of work. And, uh, and you're, you're not born knowing what to do. Yeah, all of a sudden, you have this uh, tiny little being that's dependent on you for everything. <laughs> and you get what, two to three days in the hospital to, <laughs> to get yeah. a crash course. <laughs> yes, it, it was amazing going to this breastfeeding group that I went to, where I had mastitis. And I thought I must have mastitis because I've been doing something wrong. It must be my own fault. And, and I went to this breastfeeding group and the lactation consultant said, 
you're doing great. And just having that support was incredibly helpful. What's the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression? So the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression is mostly a matter of duration and severity. So the baby blues include feeling anxious, moody, weepy. The emotions can feel pretty intense. They can feel like they're coming out of nowhere, but they are punctuated by times of being able to bond with baby, feeling joy, being able to relax as much as you can with a new baby. And usually when moms have the baby blues, they are still able to sleep when the baby's sleeping. And these symptoms get better anywhere between week one and week three. They just go away. With postpartum depression, the symptoms are often more severe. The anxiety is more pervasive. Women may lose their appetite. They may lose their baby weight really rapidly. They often have trouble sleeping. So baby will lay down, go to sleep, and mom will just be lying there worrying, unable to fall asleep. Mom may have thoughts about suicide, self-harm, not wanting to be around, may not have energy to take care of baby. And rather than getting better at week two or three, the symptoms often get worse. And obviously, the baby blues are uh, self-limited and postpartum depression needs treatment. And it's not necessary for a new mom to figure this out on her own. She should pick up the phone, call the warm line that I gave the number from before, reach out to her OB uh, or primary care doctor, someone else who can help. What are the treatment options for postpartum depression? One option is medication, especially for women who have a history of, either have a history of depression or anxiety and have responded to medication in the past, or who don't have a history of, of a mood or anxiety disorder. These women often have a really good response to a first-line medication, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, such as sertraline or escitalopram. Those are the you know, kind of first-line medications that I use. But medication isn't, certainly isn't the only answer. Medications tend to be compatible with breastfeeding. And so there's no reason that a woman should avoid seeking treatment because she feels like she would have to give up her relationship of nursing. But other treatments are available. Cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal psychotherapy have specifically been studied in treating postpartum depression. They're just specific therapy modalities. There are also parent-child therapies that have been studied, and these therapies focus on the bond between mom and baby, often supporting mom and teaching mom how to bond and respond to baby. And peer support can also be helpful. So Postpartum Support International has peer support groups online that, again, can be accessed through that postpartum.net website. And before COVID, there were a number of live peer support groups available across the state. Some of those have moved online. Some of them we hope will come back in person in the future. What do you wish OBGYNs or midwives knew about mental health disorders and pregnancy and postpartum? If you could pick one thing. Mm -hmm. One thing. Or two. Uh, one or two. <laughs> I would like OBGYNs and midwives to keep in mind the statistic that I brought up earlier that the number one risk factor for postpartum depression is depression during pregnancy. That women who are taking medication for depression and stop their medication for pregnancy have a 50% chance of relapse of illness during pregnancy. And so I would really encourage OBGYNs and midwives to 
increase their comfort level with prescribing medication during pregnancy. I wish that there were a you know better solution uh, rather than putting it back on uh, the OBGYNs and midwives who already have a lot to do. But it is heartbreaking when I hear stories about women who were taking medication prior to pregnancy, primary care doctor was prescribing it. Now they're pregnant. Primary care doctor doesn't feel comfortable with that. OBGYN or midwife doesn't feel comfortable with that. And now you have a woman who is not taking medication, not even by her own choice. I mean, she has, you know, hasn't even had the opportunity to discuss the risks and benefits. She's just without it. And she's suffering and feeling terrible and and potentially having a devastating outcome. Yes. Yeah. About to enter the highest risk time of her life. So that's what I would like for people to keep in mind. And OBGYNs and midwives are not alone in prescribing these medications. Postpartum Support International has a provider consultation line for medical professionals. They can call and set up an appointment or they can go to postpartum.net and set up an appointment and talk to a perinatal psychiatrist about their patient specifically and the medications that they're taking. And this is free. The telephone number is one 877 499-4773. And you call that telephone number or you go to postpartum.net. If you plug into your Google search, Postpartum Support International Provider Consultation Line, you'll get the telephone number and you set up an appointment. And within one business day, you'll have an appointment with a perinatal psychiatrist for free to discuss your concerns about a particular medication. That's a great resource. So Clearly, the message is uh, a provider does not have to be a psychiatrist to treat perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. But what psychiatric conditions really necessitate a psychiatric referral? Mm -hmm. Certainly postpartum psychosis. And that can sometimes be hard to sort out. There are times where uh, a woman is appears highly anxious, but is actually bordering on delusional. And so if you're worried, certainly can call that consultation line and talk to somebody. And I would say when in doubt, uh, refer. But postpartum psychosis needs to be handled by a, a psychiatrist. Women with a history of bipolar disorder are at the highest risk for postpartum psychosis. And so if you have somebody who has a history of bipolar disorder, has taken certainly somebody who's had a psychotic episode before, somebody who's been hospitalized, someone who's been on lithium, you want to be really cautious entering into the postpartum period with that person. And and I would say have somebody, a psychiatrist or a psychiatric practitioner walking through that whole process and period with you. Postpartum OCD, I don't know that it necessarily needs a specialized provider because you can treat this with SSRIs, but that is another disorder that can present in a very frightening way sometimes. What I mean specifically by that is that it's not uncommon for people who have OCD to have intrusive thoughts of harm. This happens outside of the perinatal period as well. Uh, certainly there are or I've had numerous patients who have been, who can't be around knives because they are worried that they're accidentally going to stab somebody with a knife and it makes them hard for them to be around their loved ones. In the postpartum period, some women have intrusive thoughts of harm befalling their children and sometimes have really disturbing images of themselves harming their babies. These women who have OCD, they are really 
they're very disturbed by these thoughts and they're, they're not at risk of hurting their babies. And so you rarely will hear about women telling their physician about these thoughts and then being whisked off to a psychiatric hospital, which is not where they belong. So that is something I think that's important for people to be familiar with and have someone to call and involve if you're worried, uh, because you don't want to be worrying alone about these things. I think that's a really good thing to take away is there are resources, there are resources out there to help support providers who have questions or concerns and there, there are those resources that we yes. can access. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to make our system better for people who are pregnant or postpartum who have mental health disorders? And I think the two biggest things I would do if I had a magic wand would be to get universal healthcare coverage, both in the postpartum period, because as I have said, the the whole the entire year postpartum is a high risk time for women. And so it's important for women to be covered during that time. But also before pregnancy, unintentional pregnancy increases the risk of postpartum depression. And it's hard to prevent a pregnancy if you don't have access or harder if you don't have access to affordable contraception. And so I would like to see everybody have healthcare coverage across the lifespan. And the other thing that I would love to change is to demedicalize this experience in general. Obviously, medical care has improved birth outcomes over time, but the flip side of that is that we have really medicalized anxiety disorders to a point that is sometimes not helpful. And we have put women and their babies in separate silos when they are, if you really think about it, they are one organism. The look on a mother's face, the sound of her voice is influencing the connections in baby's brain. Like you cannot separate them. And so having more support, education for caregivers, I think would go a long way to helping new families. Do you see any racial disparities in mental health disorders and pregnancy and postpartum? Yes, yes. Women of color are at higher risk of developing mood and anxiety disorders in the postpartum period. In general, in psychiatry, Black women are at higher risk of being prescribed riskier medication. They're more likely to receive antipsychotics, especially older antipsychotics. And so they're at higher risk of, of having illness. And then unfortunately, when they seek treatment, they are more likely to receive riskier or substandard treatment. I think that really, that ties into what you were saying about demedicalizing pregnancy and the postpartum period. I think that could mm -hmm. help with that. Although there's a lot of more, more intentional things that need to go into yes. the decreasing mm -hmm. the racial disparities in pregnancy yep. and postpartum. The other thing that is being, I think, done more now uh, is that we are recognizing that peer support is more helpful when you are in a group of people who share your background. And so Postpartum Support International, as I said, they have a lot of online national support groups, and they have specific groups for Black moms, for Desi moms, for the Southeast Indian population, so that women can be supported by their peers. Anything else that you think that we need to talk about today that you want to make sure our listeners think about before we send them on their way? I think that 
it cannot be overstated that for women who have history of trauma, less support in their lives, more financial challenges, these women are at higher risk of having postpartum depression and are not as likely to respond simply to medication. Certainly, I wouldn't avoid prescribing medication to these women. I'm not saying that, but really more than simply giving them some sertraline and sending them on on their way needs to be done. They need to be connected with someone who can walk the journey with them and offer support. We diagnose someone with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. How frequently should we be seeing them back in the office or touching base with them Mm -hmm. over telehealth? That's a great question. You know, it really depends on the person. What what I often do, and I don't know if you know, I'm going to tell you what I do, and I don't know if obstetricians and midwives feel, would feel comfortable doing what I do. But when I have a patient who has postpartum depression, is highly anxious, is not sleeping, I start them on a low dose of an SSRI, 25 of sertraline, 5 of escitalopram. And I also prescribe them a low dose of lorazepam to help them sleep. And then I have them check back in with me. I don't necessarily see them for another appointment formally for a month, but I do have them check in with me within a week or two and just send me a message, let me know how they're doing to make sure things are getting better. And I tell them to go up on their SSRI after a couple of weeks if they're not having significant side effects. So if they're not having a lot of nausea or diarrhea or increased anxiety, I tell them to go up so that by the time I see them back in a month, they've been on a full dose of medication for two weeks and hopefully have been getting some sleep. And I know that prescribing benzodiazepines is not a popular suggestion. And I certainly wouldn't uh, suggest doing that to anybody who has a history of substance use disorder. But for my moms who are not sleeping, oftentimes they will use them very sparingly at low doses and it helps them feel a lot better. Well, thank you so much, Julia. This is such an important topic. I think it's critical that we address postpartum mood and anxiety disorders, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And it is just another facet of addressing our maternal mortality rates in Tennessee and our general wellness in terms of women's mental health in Tennessee. So thank you so much. And thank you for all you do and all your advocacy around this issue. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee. 